and welcome to this podcast by Chestnut Mountain Church, located in Flower Branch, Georgia, where our mission is to saturate the world with the good news. To learn more about who we are, follow us on social on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at chestnutmtn underscore, and check out our website at chestnutmountain.org. We also want to let you know that we have video versions of these episodes located right now on our YouTube channel for you to go check out and watch. This episode features a sermon replay from yesterday's message as we continue our reset series in the book of Haggai. Let's take a listen. I know for some of us, when we hear the word fast, we really don't like to talk about it because we don't understand maybe what it is and why we do it. And so what we're gonna spend some time doing this morning is we're gonna to start out the day by talking about what it is and why we do it. Because I don't want us to do something just to say we're doing it. Everything that we're gonna do, we're gonna do it with purpose. And so that's the point in, in this fast that God has laid on our heart to do. And so the way we're gonna do that, we're gonna answer these two questions, but we're actually gonna look into the book of Daniel, which is the fast that we'll be doing, the Daniel fast. And I'll be explaining that in just a moment. But what's amazing is when we look into the book of Daniel, you're gonna see that it transitions right into Haggai chapter two, where we're gonna be at today. And so just to kind of give you the, the idea, the, the story at 30,000 feet, just so you'll get a better idea of, of what this fast is about, we have to go back to the book of Daniel when King Nebuchadnezzar was, was ruling over Babylon, we know that, that King Nebuchadnezzar was the one that was responsible for the destruction of the temple. And so the, he had gone in and taken the Jewish people captive and, and the four probably most famous Jews that were taken captive were Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And so we know that when they were taken captive, what was gonna take place is they were gonna enter into a three-year season of training. But this training was gonna be put in place so that they could serve the king. But one of the, the delicacies, I guess you would say, of this is they were gonna get the opportunity to eat of the king's choice food and drink of the wine. But because of Jewish law, because of the Old Testament covenant, Daniel knew that this was gonna make him go against what his convictions were and the law that he was surrendered to abide by. And so what I love about Daniel, and I even shared this yesterday with, with, the, with the ordination service. If you read in Daniel chapter one, we see that it says Daniel made up his mind that he was not gonna eat of the king's choice food. Now look, we live in the South. I've got Ralph out there showing me Brunswick stew a while ago. Of all the Brunswick stew they made yesterday. But as a follower of Christ, as we enter into this fast starting next Sunday, the reality is you're gonna have to make up your mind. It's gonna be tough. It's going to be hard. Look, I love to eat. My favorite part of the day is at about 8.45 at night when I can go in there and get my bowl of cereal or my bowl of ice cream. But guess what? I gotta make up my mind and my wife's gotta make up her mind. She's not gonna buy it. But what we're gonna see is they made up their mind and we see that Daniel asked the commander. He says, look, here's a conviction I have. Can I, can I have your permission to eat of my food rather than eating of the king's choice food? And, we, and if you're familiar with that, you know what happened. The, the commander allowed him to do that for 10 days. And I know some of you are going, good, this fast only 10 days. No, not there yet. 
You're going to hear the 21 in just a minute. And so for 10 days, they told Daniel and those three men to, to eat of their food, but then they were going to get back and compare who had ate of the king's choice food and who had been eating of what Daniel was convicted of. And so look at Daniel chapter 1. Verses 14 through 16, and we're gonna see the results of what happened at the end of that 10 days. Daniel chapter one, verse 14. We read here, it says, so he listened to them in this manner and they tested them for 10 days. At the end of the 10 days, their appearance seemed better and they were fatter than all of the youths who had been eating the king's choice food. So the overseer continued to withhold their choice food and the wine and there were to drink and kept giving them the vegetables. You see, what we see here is that God had already physically displayed his glory through these four young men. God had already said, and God was proven through their discipline just how good he was. He was showing his strength. He was showing his power just through these men. But then if you go on to look, look what else happened. Look at verse 17. And it says, as these four youths, God gave them knowledge and intelligence in every branch of literature and wisdom. And Daniel even understood all kinds of visions and dreams. You see what we have to understand is the reason that Daniel fasted. Daniel fasted because it was a conviction that he had. Daniel fasted so that he could get more, so that, that God could get more of him. Daniel fasted, he was seeking the Lord and he just had a humble heart to seek the things of God. And as a result of him seeking God, God blessed it. Now understand, he wasn't seeking God just to receive the blessing. He was seeking God because he loved God. That's what he was doing. That was the purpose and what he was, the reason that he was fasting. God was transforming Daniel's heart. God was transforming Daniel's mind as a result of Daniel seeking the Lord. And so then when we fast forward to Daniel chapter 10, you don't have to turn there because we're not gonna really read. I'm just gonna sort of give you, a, again, the overview of what's happening. We see that Daniel receives a vision. And the vision that he sees troubles him. It breaks his heart. Because the vision that he sees is a conflict that is coming. A, gone, a conflict that is on the horizon. And it breaks Daniel's heart because of what is about to happen. Now, what we know, what we read, what we study is about to happen, this conflict that Daniel is seeing is the conflict that we have been studying in the book of Haggai for the last several weeks. It was the conflict of when the Jewish people were sent back to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple. And we know that the government came against them and we saw that it paralyzed them. They didn't handle the adversity very well. And so they stopped building the kingdom and the kingdom lied desolate for 16 years. So Daniel saw this coming. And so Daniel fasted on behalf of that. Daniel was heartbroken in that. And so what Daniel was seeking was he was seeking the comfort of God because it troubled his spirit so much that the church was gonna stop doing what God had called him to do. And so for 21 days, for three weeks, Daniel fasted 
seeking the presence of God because of the conflict that was on the horizon. And so this fast consisted of, when you study, when you look into it, what he was restricted to, what he limited himself to eat was vegetables, was fruit, was beans, was whole grains, was seeds, and drinking water, not Mountain Dew. Did y'all just see that evil eye she just gave me? gum, honey. Look, and for most of us, that sounds horrible. If you're anything like me, I love some red meat. I got some amens. I love some chicken. I love meat. I love, JD's on it this morning. I love sugar. I love all the bread you can eat. But guess what? We got to make up our mind. We've got to make up our mind. Now look, don't have the wrong perspective as we walk in and we get ready to enter into this fast. Don't think that it's just a 21 days to have a diet, okay? Don't let that be your driving force. Don't let that be your motivation. But the reason that God is calling into this fast because I believe with everything in me, if the churches ever need to be unified, it is now. And if we can all humble our hearts before an almighty God and we can seek his direction as a church family, there's no doubt in my mind he's gonna lead us all in the same direction. But we've gotta make up our mind and the perspective that we've gotta gotta settle in our hearts is the reason that we're fasting is not so that we can get more of God, but we are fasting so that God can get more of us. A fast is not an opportunity to hold God hostage until God gives us what we want. A fast is so that we can learn to to die to ourselves, that we can learn to die to our flesh and we can seek him when our flesh wants to seek other things. And the truth is, is if we can fight our flesh against food, We can fight our flesh against some other things because if you're like me, we love some food. We love to eat. But you see, God recognized Daniel's motives. God recognized the reason that Daniel was fasting and God blessed it. God blessed it. And so now I want you to turn to Haggai chapter two. Haggai chapter two, where we've been, and we're gonna be looking at verses 10 through 14 today in the beginning. And what we've been reading about, what we've seen taking place in Haggai all the way through chapter one, and what we were even in last week, if we have seen a lot of misplaced priorities. We knew that God had provided them what they needed to fulfill the calling they had placed on his life, but we've seen that their priorities shifted and all of a sudden they turned very selfish. They begin to use the very resources that God had given them to build their own kingdom instead of building the kingdom that God had called them to build. Now look, I'm just gonna be completely honest. This is probably the hardest passage that I've ever attempted to communicate. And so I want you to bear with me. I want you to pray. I want you to to open your heart and your mind because I believe that God can make this clear to all of us. But this is a very, very hard passage to communicate. So I want you to read with me, starting in verse 10. 
It says on the 24th day of the ninth month. Now remember that if you do the math there, that's two months later than what we talked about last week. So two month period has happened. And it says on the 24th day of the ninth month in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to Haggai the prophet saying, thus says the Lord of hosts, ask now the priest for a ruling. If a man carries holy meat in the fold of his garment and he touches bread with this fold or cooked food, wine, oil, or any other food, will it become holy? And the priest answered, no. Verse 13, then Haggai said, if one who is unclean from the corpse touches any of these, will the latter become unclean? And the priest answered, it will become unclean. Then Haggai said, so is this people and so is this nation before me, declares the Lord. So is every work of their hands and what they offer there is unclean. Anybody care to take a stab at it? If you're like me, when you read that on the surface, you're like, what in the world is he talking about? And the best way that I know to communicate this is this would be a sermon illustration of old. Because you see in the Jewish culture, the, the context of clean and unclean or clean versus unclean was very, very important. Because under the Old, Old Testament covenant that the Jews had, they had to determine if something was clean or if something was unclean. And so what we're gonna try to do today is to try to understand and try to simplify this so that we can see what this, this visual or this illustration that Haggai is trying to present here so that we can have understanding. And we see that he started out by asking two questions to the priest. You see, there's importance of understanding why did he ask the question to the priest? Because the priest's responsibility was to determine if something was clean or it was unclean. That was the priest's job. And so that is why Haggai is going to address the priest with these two questions. Now you're gonna hear the word holy and what the word holy would represent here would be something that is clean. And then what the word unholy represents is something that is unclean or essentially it represents sin. And so the question that is being asked to the priest, now try to follow me. If clean touches something unclean, does it make what is unclean clean? And the answer to that is no. Then he follows it up with a very similar question. He says, but if something unclean touches something clean, does it make what's clean unclean? And the answer to that is what? Yes. And I know you're probably still sitting there going, well, what does that matter? And I still don't quite follow. So, man, y'all see this visual I got here? Hmm? Why are y'all laughing? No, I'm not shaking this up and spraying it all over the stage the last time we did with a two liter Coke bottle, okay? But what I do want you to see here is just, just for sermon illustration purposes, we're gonna declare that this expiration date would be September 15th of 2020. You can imagine how absolutely disgusting this would be, right? 
And so we would declare this one bad, right? This is unholy. And so what then we take is we look, and this is, we'll say the expiration date is next Sunday, February 14th. So therefore this milk is good. And so the best way that we can understand what, what we're reading here is that the question has been asked, if we pour what is bad into what is good, is it going to make what is good bad? If I take this sour, disgusting milk and I pour it into what's good, what is gonna happen to this good milk? Pfft. Now it's terrible, right? But then the other question is, is if I were to take what is good and I were to apply it to what is bad, is it gonna make what's bad good? No, it doesn't matter how much good I pour into this gallon of milk, it is never going to be good. It doesn't matter how much good I try to pour over what's bad, it will not cover up the fact that this is bad. But you see, the reason that he's painting that picture is because that's the very thing that is taking place in the Jew's heart as they're rebuilding the kingdom. You see, for many of them, the reason that they are rebuilding the kingdom is because they're wanting to get something from God. If you remember, as we've walked through Haggai chapter one, as we went back to the book of Ezra, we've all seen that the Jews made a mess of what God had instructed them to do. We've seen this mess time and time and time again, but what they're doing now is they are trying to work their way back into the love of God. They're trying to achieve and walk back into his, into his grace, into his mercy, into his blessings. They're trying to clean up what they've messed up. They're trying to clean up what they've made a mess of. And you see what they're doing as they're rebuilding the temple. One would watch them and one would say, you know what, they're doing the right thing. They're doing what God has called them to do. And while yes, that's true, on the outside, all of the actions looked appropriate. But the problem is, is what's taking place on the inside. There's been no heart change. You see, they're trying to do in order to get something from God. There's no telling how many of us walk into this room on a Sunday morning. And if we were real honest, we walk in here on Sunday morning to participate in church, hoping that God will bless us through the week. We show up on Sunday morning and we think that we're here. So man, God's gonna be pleased with me today because I'm in his house. And so therefore everything's gonna go great at work this week. And the problem with that is we are trying to perform in front of God in order for God to bless us. But you see, we can go through all of the motions we can be involved in a small group. We can attend this room every week. We can even raise our hands in worship. But if our heart's not right, if our motives aren't right, God sees right through it. We may have everybody in this room fooled, but God knows at the end of the day what is going on in your heart. And we have in our mind that if we perform in such a way, God will bless me. If we perform in such a way, God will love me. And how many of us grew up 
with this theology? How many of us still struggle with this theology that we think that we have to live up to certain standards in order for God to love us? What we have forgotten is all of that was settled on the cross. All of that was settled with what Jesus Christ did for you, what Jesus Christ did for me, because God knew that we could never perform enough good to make the bad good. It's not in us. We are sinful people and we can't cover up the bad with enough good. But we think that if we do this, then God will do that. We think that if we perform in such a way that God will bless us. And so as we get ready to enter into a fast next Sunday, what is your motive? What is your motive? Are you gonna submit to this fast in order to try to please God? The Jews were trying to rebuild the temple, trying to please God. Why will we fast? Why will you fast? Is the motive so that God will do something for us? Or is the motive because God has already done everything for us? You see, the reason that we should wanna give him more of us is because he's already given us all of him. Now, don't get me wrong. We've been speaking up to the last few weeks of how God blesses obedience. But the problem is, is again, we look at these blessings through the wrong lenses. We consider blessing that has something to do that the only way God can bless me is with monetary gifts. The only way that God can bless me is with something that's tangible while I'm here on this earth. The question is, as a follower of Jesus Christ, what more do we need than our eternity set? What more do we need than eternal security in Jesus Christ, our Lord? And here's the question. If God never did anything else for us other than salvation, would that be enough? Would you still serve him? Would you still love him? Would you still walk with him? Because we're not guaranteed all these monetary blessings that we hear. Now they're gonna come. Some of them are gonna come, but I wanna tell you, they won't last either. They're not going to last. And so while they may be fun, they may be entertaining, but that cannot be the motive that calls us to live for him. He's already given us salvation. What more could we ask for? And you see, that's what Haggai continues to remember or continues to remind the Jews of. That's why he always goes back and talks about where they've came from. Because if you remember, they were in bondage for 70 plus years 
as a result of their disobedience. But because of God's grace and his love and his mercy, he set them free. And so in that freedom, they go back. He gave them instruction to go rebuild the temple. If you remember, many of them left with nothing and God provided everything they needed to fulfill what he was telling them to do. And we know how that story played out. Things got tough. Things got hard. The government came against them. The government stopped their building. And so for 16 years, they did nothing except use all the resources to build their own homes, to build their own kingdoms. Because if you remember the question, why is it that you are living in paneled houses while my temple lies desolate? But then as we read two weeks ago, God in his love and his mercy again shows up and he says, look, I don't care about your past. I don't care what you've done, but get up, go back to the mountain, get more wood and get back to work. Again, God's grace, God's mercy, God's love being extended. And so Haggai is saying, look what all God has already done. Is that not enough? Why are you trying to get God to bless you more? The reason that you should be serving and loving him is not because of what he's going to do, but because of what he's already done. But you see the problem in the New Testament church, we still have this mindset that we only wanna live so God will continue to bless us. What we need to do is we need to get back to living for the Lord because he's already blessed us. That is why we serve him. That is why we love him. And then I want you to read in chapter two, verses 15 through 17. And we're about to see this grace and this mercy extended again because their, their motives are in the wrong place. Verse 15, he says, but now... Do consider from this day onward before one stone was placed on another in the temple of the Lord. From that time, when one came to a grain heap of 20 measures, there would only be 10. And when one came to the wine vat to draw 50 measures, there would only be 20. And then he says this, and this is the words of the Lord. I smote you every work of your hands with blasting wind, with mildew and with hail. Now, if you remember, we talked about how all of this work that they were doing, all of this effort they were putting in to build their own kingdom. Remember, it wasn't satisfying them. They weren't seeing the, the, the fruit that they wanted to see. It said that they sowed a lot, but they reaped little. But here we see the reason that happened because it says that God blast, sent a blasting wind. He sent mildew and he sent hell to ruin their efforts. Now, I don't know about you, but on the surface, we look at that and we say, man, God's just mean. And how many of us have experienced that? We exhaust ourselves trying to work, trying to do all of these things for God and they don't always turn out like we think they should. And then what do we do? Even in our disobedience, when things go sideways, when things get difficult, when, when God doesn't bless our obedience, who do we get angry at? God. We do our own thing. We walk contrary to what the word of God says. We walk contrary to what he's teaching us and telling us to do. Then we wanna get mad with him when everything falls apart. 
And it makes us think of God as this angry, just mean God. But look at the very reason that he sent the wind, the mildew and the hail. Listen to what he says. Yet you did not come back to me. Do you understand what he's saying? Do you understand what he's saying there? He said, I sent the wind, I sent the hell, I sent the mildew, but yet you did not come back to me. And so while some of us may have this view of, of this is God being mad, what we have to understand is this is God's love. This is God's mercy. This is God's grace. Have you ever thought about the reason your life is falling apart is because God is doing everything he can to get you to turn back to him? He's not doing it to punish you. He's doing it to open your eyes so that you will run back to him for comfort, for peace, for love. Think back on September 11th when the towers fell. You say that they said the following Sunday was the highest attended church Sunday of any day in history. Because you see something disastrous took place and God allowed it to take place because he wanted his children to turn back to him. But instead, what we do when life falls apart, when things go wrong, we get angry with God and we turn away from him. We run from him. When it says here, I sent all of that disaster so that you will come back to me. So that you will come back to me. Remember, they didn't like the fact that God did not bless their dis obedience. But the reason he wasn't blessing their disobedience is because he wanted to open up their eyes to his love, his great grace, and his mercy. That's the reason that he doesn't bless our obedience. But then we look at verses 18 and 19. He says here, do not consider from this day onward from the 24th day of the ninth month, from the day when the temple of the Lord was founded, consider, is the seed still in the barn? Even including the vine, the fig tree, the pomegranate, and the olive tree, it has not been born fruit. Yet, from this day on, I will bless you. You see, what we've been reading is there's three or four different scenarios here where the children of God rejected his invitation of grace and mercy. They rejected the invitation of his grace and his mercy. And now all of a sudden, God extends it once again. And he says, the seeds are still in the barn there's nothing even growing yet. But if you will follow me, if you will surrender to my calling from this day forward, I will bless you. How many times have we ran from the invitation? How many times have we ignored God extending his grace 
How many times have we ignored God sending his mercy? And here's the truth. There's somebody in this room today that will walk away from this place ignoring the invitation once again. Because how I know God is extending grace and how I know God is extending mercy again to you today is because you're here. Because you're here and the word of God is being proclaimed and this word is alive and this word is meeting you right where you're at. And he is saying, look, I don't care what you've done in the past. I don't care what you've made a mess of. But here again, I'm here today to remind you of my grace, of my love and my mercy. And he's saying, and from this day on, if you will follow me, I will bless you. But again, don't think that that blessing is that life is gonna get easier. That blessing is gonna come from eternal security in your salvation. That is what this peace, this, this grace and this mercy that he extends is all about, is what is to come. But will you ignore the invitation again? What is your motive? Are you here this morning in order to try to earn something with God? Because I'll tell you, you can't be good enough. We're sinful people. We can't do enough good to cover up what's bad. You say, well, Brian, how do, I, how do I cover up what's bad? How am I forgiven? What do I need to do? What can I do? You see, number one, you have a pronoun problem. There's nothing you can do. What you've got to trust is that he's already done it. What you've got to believe in your heart is that there was a day when our Lord and Savior hung on a cross and with every drop of blood that flowed from his body, it wiped away everything that was unholy. It wiped away everything that was unclean. And as a follower of Jesus Christ today, we've got to trust in that sacrifice. And when we trust in that sacrifice, it quickly changes. It changes and it shifts our motives because now we no longer wanna live so that we can get more of God, but now we see that he has already given. And so now we wanna to surrender to a life where he gets more of us because he's so worth it. And so the way that I want us to close out this morning is Number one, I want you to ask yourself, have I ever trusted in that sacrifice? Have I ever trusted in the fact that his blood was poured out for me and then that blood was shed so that I could be made clean? He paid that punishment for me. Have you ever surrendered to that? Because if you're here this morning and you never have, This salvation that we talk about is a whosoever will salvation. 
If you're here this morning, it doesn't matter what your past is about. It don't matter what a mess you've made of your life. It don't matter what you did before you came in this room today because he told us in the word just now from this point on. And right now is this point. Right now is from this moment, but you've got to make the decision. Are you going to trust him? Are you going to follow him with everything you are? And so the first part of this response time is just a call to salvation. Maybe you're here and you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. I would love to meet you down here and show you in the word of God what it looks like for you to surrender your life, what it means, what you're stepping into. But then secondly, thinking about this fast, what is your motive? Now look, I'm not, super, I'm not just super spiritual enough that I think everybody in here is gonna jump on board. Some of you gonna walk out of here and go, that dude's nuts. Ain't no way I'm just eating vegetables and peanuts and drinking some water. That's okay. But what I would challenge you to do is ask the Lord what he would have you to do. I don't want you to do it because the little short guy on stage is telling you to. I want you to do it because the Holy Spirit of God is calling you to a deeper relationship with Him. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you made a decision or if you have any questions about salvation or anything about this Christian journey, one of our pastors would love to connect with you. So to connect and find out what your next steps are, go to our website at chestnutmountain.org slash steps and there will be a form for you to fill out so one of our pastors can connect with you. We also want you to do three things right now. Number one, leave a review on this podcast. Tell us what you think. And also, a review allows us to reach even more people. Number two, subscribe to this podcast if you haven't already so you don't miss an episode during the week. And number three, we want you to go check out our Chestnut Mountain Church YouTube channel. So maybe there's some visuals in this episode that you couldn't see but wanted to see. And that's why we have video versions of these episodes along with other content not featured on this podcast right now on our YouTube channel. Lastly, we invite you to join us live for worship on Sunday mornings in person at 9 o'clock or 1045 a.m. Eastern Standard Time or online at 1045 as well. Learn more about us on our website at chestnutmountain.org. And don't forget to follow us on social at chestnutmtn underscore for more encouragement and to see all what God is doing in and through CMC. We love you, we're praying for you, and we'll see you next time.